Here's a bit of e-commerce trivia. <laughs> Did you know that 9 out of 10 UK shoppers will abandon a store using US dollars? Or that if someone leaves your store to use a currency converter, 2 out of 3 won't return? Not showing the default local currency might be one of the biggest contributors to your e-commerce bounce rate. And if you ship internationally, a multi-currency app is an absolute must, and the folks at Bold make the best multi-currency app out there. Here's why. It auto-detects where your customers are shopping from and shows them their correct currency, so you don't lose them in the first second that they load the site. And of course, it also syncs real-time with currency databases too, so it's always up to date. But it has a few other neat tricks as well, such as rate padding. So if you set it to sync real-time rates, but want to pad the conversion by a few percent eh, to make a little for yourself, you can do that too. It also supports vanity pricing, which I think is neat. So if you want all your prices to end in, say, 99 cents, it could do that for you as well. And it's got all those features, but best of all, it's free. So I can't even offer you a special extended trial, because there isn't one. Just go to the App Store and search Bold Multicurrency. That's bold multi-currency in the App Store. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores, like Hoonigan and Yvonne Stell's to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. So what'd you learn yesterday? My brother, he, my brother's getting something shipped from Halifax, and was complaining that it was twenty five dollars to get him to get his ship shipping thing from Halifax. Halifax, Nova Scotia. Halifax, Nova Scotia, which you know one of your favorite destinations in the <laughs> world. And I was looking at print. I was like looking at where Halifax was exactly in relation to America. I was like, oh, it seems like a lot. And I noticed Prince Edward Island and how small it was. And I was like, it's bullshit that Prince Edward Island gets to be its own province because it's so tiny. It's like the size of the UP of Michigan. It's nothing. And so I'm like, how did that happen? So I look. And when Canada got together in like 1867 or whatever, Prince Edward Island didn't join and was like, eh, we're going to stay a colony. And then they racked up all these debts, building like a railroad, doing all this stuff. And, like, the British Colonial Association was obviously getting out of, like, the North American colony game. It wasn't giving them a lot of attention. They're out the game. They're out the game. Well, North America, you know, India, still banging. Uh, and Prince Edward Island's like, all right, we want to join up with someone. So they essentially led, they did essentially led, like, a free agent bidding war between the United States and Canada as who gets them. And they got a sweetheart deal from Canada. Because Canada was like, all right, we'll pay off all the railroad debt. Most of the land was owned by uh, English like royalty landowners. And they're like, we'll buy off all the landowners so the people that live in Prince Edward Island can actually own the land. And like they got, they got a real nice deal. They were a country free agent. I do love my sports business. So if you can do, and I'm terrible at 
generally history and geography. <laughs> so if you could give me history and geography as a sports business lesson, <laughs> you've guaranteed I have no idea what you just said. Yeah, okay. Last night I took our oldest for his birthday to see the new X-Men movie. Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix. Which word on the street is, is terrible. <sighs> I want to love this movie. I love the X-Men, the only superhero franchise I'm still into. And this was so bad. The worst part was there were a few moments where there two, maybe three moments where I was like, oh, this could be kind of good. Like, for example, for the first two acts, Charles Xavier is the villain in that he's uh, an egomaniac and it has made his decisions about the X-Men a little questionable. But then someone would say a line so hacky that I it was like watching a soap opera level stuff, and immediately I'm out of the moment. It is, of the X-Men movie, it is the worst. It is even less fun than that like terrible Wolverine Origins movie. Worse than X-Men 3, X-Men The Last Stand, which was the first time they tried to do Phoenix, kind of. Debatable. I will say it's not as bad as that, like... Wolverine Deadpool movie. What's that mess? X-Men Origins. You just said the Wolverine Origins movie. Oh, is that the one where he goes to Japan too? Or is that a different no, one? No, that's the Wolverine. There's so many. I, I thought the Wolverine was all right. I thought people were like, you know what? That was okay. I never saw that one. I liked Logan a lot. Well, Logan. Everyone loves Logan. Yeah, that's a good send off. So I, I would assume that I know that Fassbender is Magneto and he has Genosha. And I assume that sequence is good because the Fassbender Magneto stuff has been the only consistent good thing to me in it's the newer okay. ones. Like, Magneto is 100% not a villain in this movie. He just kind of looks like pained. And it's clear that, like, he, Fassbender's like, listen, I'm just sleepwalking through this. Well, that, that's where they all are at this point. They're all like, we signed four picture deals. This is the last, this is the contractually obligated last one we got to do. I am so disappointed. Well, it's done, and you won't be seeing him for a couple of years because the Disney guys, the Disney guys were kind of like, "Yeah, X Men's gonna take a rest for a while." It's it's for the best. But speaking of Disney, I'm going to Disneyland tomorrow. Yeah, I know. Woo! Checked out. Woo! Yeah, you are checked out. Woo! I've been trying to do work. We got a lot of big projects. And you're like, we got to get this done. They're gonna pay us a bonus if it gets done as soon as possible. And I just got to see you just freaking prancing around the office like Disney. I don't care about nothing. Woo! It's Disneyland, Whatever. not Disney World. I'm like, I gotta go to work. <laughs> Euro Disney? No, we're not going to Euro Disney. Tokyo Disney. I do want to go to Tokyo Disney. The abandoned pseudo Disney theme park in China that's not licensed? Absolutely not. <laughs> there's no way that there's not asbestos in that park. <laughs> Anything else? 100% not Shopify related? Uh, one, we always talk about TV. Uh, watch Chernobyl. Chernobyl is the is my shit. It is not happy, but it's extremely good and extremely well made. Two, watch a documentary on Netflix called Bathtubs Over Broadway. That is a documentary about industrial musicals. Oh, this is on my list. Which is uh, like trade shows, like say Shopify Unite. In the for about a good forty years in America, there would be a trade show, and at the trade show, they were entertain everyone with a full musical production about the product line or what, about being a salesman or whatever it is. And that's how they would teach them about the products and about selling it. And it was a way for people in 
uh, show business, like to get a lot of work, like, you know, you'd work the trade shows. That was like the first level of being in show business was doing the industrial musicals and it's totally forgotten now. And I am super into them. Uh, that one does sound fun. They're mostly about cars, but it's like, here is an entire musical about how good the 1957 Oldsmobiles are. And it's just like, <laughs> so cool. I got to check that one out. Uh, on to. Also, how- there are playlists of them on Spotify and I listen to them. Oh, well, send me the. Send me the, the a Spotify playlist link because I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> All right. Uh, on to our, our housekeeping items. Shopify Unite, right around the corner. Little Bird back channel told me this is the biggest one ever, and I'm so excited for it. When we're there, look for, if you're going to Shopify Unite, and sorry, merchants, it's like it's a Shopify partner-focused thing. You, you'd be bored anyway. It's okay. You're not missing out. Just look for a, a six-foot man in a camo blazer. That's probably me. And his uh, oaf bodyguard. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> a, a much larger individual with him, because Paul's like a full head taller than me. He is a a monster man. Yeah, we're gonna be doing video interviews, so grab me. And if I'm I'm feeling good, I'm not burned out by that point. We'll uh, we'll do some some video interviews. I've been emailing back and forth with Harley and Toby about it, about getting a musical number. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that going? It's gonna be about the check. It's like there's gonna be a whole song about the checkout. Uh huh. Like a yeah. You're, so you're you are personally <laughs> overseeing an industrial musical about Shopify's feature announcements. Uh, I'm just pushing for it to happen. I mean, I don't have the talent. You're for cheerleading. It. We tried to. I mean, they got a lot of money since the IPO. We tried to get Sondheim. He's mostly retired now. So okay. That's that was a little rough. Mm-hmm. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be like a guys and dolls pastiche. Uh huh. <laughs> there is no universe in which I can follow up anything with that. Uh, <laughs> If <laughs> there, I don't know if tickets are still available, but we'll be the day after Unite. Uh, we'll be at Debrief uh, again, doing interviews. I will be speaking on a panel at Debrief. Tickets are only thirty-five dollars, so check that out. DebriefEvent.com. Unless I screwed up that domain, I don't know. Check the show notes. And lastly, we always need questions, topic suggestions for the Paul Kurt episodes. We have a Facebook group. It's got, uh, I think there's 2,300 or 2,400 people in there now. Really great community. We're very proud of it. Uh, So just search Unofficial Shopify Podcast Insiders on Facebook and join our Facebook group. We would be happy to have you. And then my, the last item I wanted to touch on is this, I know people love app services tools. My, and maybe we should do this regularly, like this is the, the tool software app recommendation of the week. For starting that, my selection is Bonjuro. Christina Scalera from the Contract Shop showed me this thing. It will integrate with your Shopify store or like a bunch of other tools, but in this case, Shopify. And you could set it up so it gives you a, a to-do list where if someone makes a purchase, you it prompts you to record a thank you video for them. And it does it in this, and then it emails it to them. Then it does it in this very streamlined way. I know your immediate thought is like, oh man, how much time would you lose to that? But it does it in this very streamlined way where you can record like just a quick 30 second thank you video that says, hey, like, hey, Paul, it's Kurt from EtherCycle, and I am so happy that you made a purchase from us. If you have any questions at all, here's how to reach out to us, you know, so-and-so. So it's just a really nice way to add that personal touch add um, and add this, like, really premium, high-touch feel to the business. Bonjuro uh, is the name of that. I will include that in the show notes. So today on the Unofficial Shopify podcast, we've got some listener questions. We're going to be doing a Q&A. And the first comes from Ryan Shell from the Home Tea, who has been on Shark Tank. He said no to the sharks. 
for the record, and he asks, Toilet paper, over or under? Paul? If, I know this is like a thing that people argue about. If you have an opinion on this, you're a psycho. <laughs> I Honestly, truly, if you care about this at all in your life, you're psychotic. My, I view a lot of things through a engineering and user experience lens and looking at the design of a toilet paper holder and toilet paper, it is obvious to me that there is a correct single way to install it and it's with the toilet paper over so that it's easier to grasp and it's not like up against stuck to the wall. So I feel that over is the correct way. Plus our cleaning service installs it over. And if you're lucky, we, you get the good person who makes a little paper rose out of it, and that's the coolest thing in the world. Under, how are you going to do the rose? You're psychotic. What? Do you install light switches upside down? I mean, like, there's a right, or if it's, po- there's a, it's polarized. There's either, like, it could be left or right, black or white, A or B. Between those two, there is a preferable way to do it. It's over, hands down. My opinion is that having an opinion on this is one of the dumbest things possible. Therefore, I'm done. <laughs> Moving, Moving on. on. <laughs> Great question here from Stian Isle Gulbrunson, who says, what has been the worst pain on your journey to where you are today? And I think we have different experiences here. I think, well, I think we both agree on the top two. Yes, we do agree on the top two. Uh, what is your number one? I think, well, we, we, there used to be three of us. We had a business partner, and it ended up kind of not working out. Like, he moved. He didn't agree with the directions we were moving in. And it was sort of like two of the people are driving the car in one direction, and the other person's driving the car in another direction. And it was sort of like, we need to have a real hard conversation about someone not being here anymore. Yeah. So, like, that's, that ultra sucked. <laughs> yeah, the hard part was, like, especially the build-up to it. I mean, it's, all, it's, it's like a breakup or a divorce. I mean, it, it is as painful and as serious. This business started because we were friends. Yes. So it's like, oh, well, yeah, one of our friends, he's not... One of the friends is breaking the business, and there's the, now business versus friend, and we need to, like, cleave those. This guy was the best man at my wedding. Yeah. I mean, it's like when you have all that wrapped up in there, it's very hard. And businesses evolve over time. People change over time, which I'm happy to say uh, the people could change over time. But in this instance, it was simply he checked out because he wasn't into what the direction we were going. But we never talked about it openly. Yeah. There was like we needed like therapy to be like. Yeah. <laughs> like someone like we all needed to admit what we wanted. But it was just like we just kind of all did our own thing. Yeah, which then leads to like that create when you ignore it, it just creates more and more problems. So like we knew a year before the breakup happened that the breakup should happen, but like no one wanted to pull the trigger on it. Yeah. And finally, well, I did. <laughs> I yelled at you for many months, but eventually we got there. <laughs> yes. Well, it was hard. Um, so finally, you know, we did. We said, hey, like I think, I think we know. I think we know. Like you're not happy. This isn't working. And let's talk about it. And then for once it's out in the open, it just it was like, boom, within 36 hours, we'd worked it out. Yeah. Where it was like, okay, you want to leave, and here's the, here are the terms, and let's work that out. And once you get there, it becomes much easier. Looking back on it, 
I think the the solutions. Well, I've helped a couple other friends who've had. They're like, listen, I've like where they have a business partnership and they want to end it, dissolve it, do something with it. I think the the trick is just to acknowledge, hey, this doesn't have to be, you know, this awful gnashing of teeth type scenario if you're just willing to communicate. And I think like like us, people get in trouble because they're avoiding the conflict as opposed to addressing it. And that just makes it so much worse. Well, and it's like if you're in a relationship where, you know, things aren't great, but the the terrifying thing is, is you're like, well, we just need to talk about and be honest about where we are with things because you're scared. You're like preemptively scared of like, oh, well, if we actually talk about it, what if they say like the bad thing that I'm scared of? And like you kind of already know what the bad thing is, but like you don't want them to actually say it because then it becomes reality. So then you avoid the conversation. Yeah. But it's like it's still there. You got to have the conversation. That's the only way to get it fixed eventually. And like, let's be clear. This is in no way if you are. If this suddenly rings a bell and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm in this situation right now, it's not a judgment. I 100% get why you, like, you're in that, that conflict avoidance um, scenario, but I promise just addressing it head on calmly, like me and like every, the, the couple businesses I've coached through this, you'll go, I wish I'd done this earlier. Yeah, because like, yeah, we struggled with it for a long time, and then it kind of came to a head at one point, and we were like, "He's, we got to break up. Like, that's it. It's over." Yeah, and so we ended up negotiating with him uh, a buyout. You and me put together money that we had that we then sent him to just be like, "Here is your money. We have bought Good out day, your sir. share of the business. No hard feelings. Farewell." And that was that. That like because we were able to handle it amicably. We're still friends. So it, it worked out. And the, in the case of two other folks I helped talk through this, one of them, it, like, completely amicable, essentially basically, like, mediated it for them. And they're friends and are fine. It worked out because they, similar situation, they both knew what they wanted. They just had to come to terms with it together and then decide, like, well, here's how we split it up. Yeah. So I think it ter- the thing that scares people... Then if we go further into this is, oh, shoot, I'm going to have to I'm going to owe them a bunch of money, like either now or in perpetuity. Don't think about it that way. Think about it like as when you're paying the partner out to leave, you are making an investment in your own business. Number one Um, and two, it doesn't have to be like I give you a lump sum. It can be all right. You could work out payment terms. Well, like if it's a fixed amount, we'll pay it out over six months or 12 months. Or we'll pay you like a smaller lump sum and then we'll pay you a residual for six to 12 months. Like there's, you could slice it up any way you want as long as you guys can agree on it together. And once we kind of got that albatross gone of just being like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Everyone who was still around was now pulling in the same direction and things accelerated wildly for us since we did it. It super worked out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand, US-based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now back to the show. Hit me. But we had, at the top of this question, you'd said, well, I think we could agree there are two things. 
Well, I think the to me the other one was is that we were on a trajectory in terms of what we were doing for our business where we were like, well, we're making websites for everyone and like we're just taking whatever jobs can come for internet websites and well, clearly the way this goes is we just need to get bigger and bigger jobs. It's like that's how we'll make money is get bigger and bigger jobs instead of getting paid $5,000, we get paid $15,000, then we get paid $30,000. And so we hit that plateau. I mean, I think the most expensive single project we've ever done was pre-Shopify, right? Yes. Yeah, we got paid, didn't we get, we got paid $50,000 for something, didn't we? 50 or 60. We got paid $50,000 for a rebranded website for a marketing agency. And that's who we were working for. We were working for marketing agencies. Uh, marketing and branding agencies don't, generally don't have their own internal web teams, so when the marketing and branding agency tells the NFL or Verizon or Hilton that they're going to make a new site for this hotel, the agency then goes and finds someone to build that site. And we were those people. So we were working for these mega, mega brands, but the brands kind of didn't know it. Like we were really working for the marketing agency and it was, and we were, it was big ticket projects, but the projects were absolute nightmares. So we were kind of like, Hey, this is what we wanted. Like we're living the dream. <laughs> Except we sold our souls to do it and it doesn't feel right. Like, this is horrible. We have so many bosses and none of them care cuz none of them is really in charge of the project cuz everyone is layered off three layers from everyone else. And look at this great brand. Oh god, they have so much money. They don't care what anyone thinks. So f we're getting fucked. <laughs> like it was just terrible. Yeah. When we got to where we thought we wanted to go. Yes. And that was that was a painful realization, but fortunately it was at the same time we had, at that point, we're recently in the Shopify experts listing, we had started uh, doing some, already we're doing some pretty big Shopify stores, and those somehow, like you'd finish the Shopify project, and part, because it was, and we were good at it, and it was relative to these other projects, we go, well, that was easy. And then, five, like, one day, we just go, wait a second, why are we doing anything else? Like, why don't we just do the projects where we go, that was easy at the end. And that was, like, it was that, that one nightmare project with our final WordPress theme development project where, like, it had everything that could possibly go wrong on a project on both sides of the equation went wrong. Yeah, they fired us halfway through the project. But then hired us back. Then hired us back when, like, they couldn't find anyone. Like, But Clint, we're like, well, okay, we're sorry we fired you, but based on your contract... Like following your master services agreement to the letter, so we could we could do that. It was just a nightmare. Yeah, but they, we did it. That project got finished, published, delivered. It's still live today. It's still live today. And I mean, and another reason why that was such a nightmare is that our job essentially at that point was like, okay, your true job, the true goal of this project is you want people to think this hotel is cool. That's what you're trying to convey. Do a website, but make it make have people feel a hotel is cool. It's like, okay, that there's no answer to that. Like, cause there'll always be some schmuck in the decision process that's like, I don't like that. And now the whole thing comes to a halt and you're screwed. Yeah. Those... Whereas working with e commerce stores, it's like, did we make the money numbers go up? Yes. Oh, we won. Yeah. We did it right. Yes. That was a big attraction to e commerce as an industry from a web design standpoint is everything is tied back to a hard KPI. And if you like, if you're like, hey, 
I want the site to play horse noises. It's like, okay, well, that's probably going to tank your conversion rate, so it's going to cost you this much. You want us to do it or not? Well, then the answer becomes, well, no. I, I, I don't want to lose that much money. Whereas when design is subjective, it's like, my poodle likes blue, so this website needs to be blue. Like, uh, okay. Those aren't fake examples, by the way. I worked on a site that literally every page load, it made horse clopping noises. <laughs> this was at a previous employer where things weren't as good. <laughs> I think one of my favorites, and this is like some clients from hell stuff. The um, We have a, a mutual colleague who had a client who was like, well, I have a spiritual advisor who says this, like, and this is after they've started the project. A spiritual advisor starts just like inserting themselves into the project. And it's like, all right, it has to go live on this date because that astrologically is the time it's most likely to succeed. And so that became the deadline. Like, and there was some like magic words they had to put include on the site. Oh, that's right. It became like, it was an HTML comment in the header. And I think the other good thing that I'm like, so obviously we like, we drew down in some ways where it's like, we're not doing mega projects for mega corporations anymore. Some people might see that as a step back, but in terms of the effective, yeah, like the project we got paid $50,000 on the hourly rate we were getting paid for doing that project was like, I don't know. 50 bucks an hour, maybe. Yeah, it's got to be like one of the worst ever. (laughs) And I think the other thing is, is that, you know, it kind of allowed us to control more who our client base is, where it's like, and it allowed Kurt to be more aggressive because it was like, Kurt can't tell the marketing agency to go screw themselves because, or that they're wrong and this is terrible because we want to get more work from them. And he can't tell Verizon I am totally wrong. removed from the client. Yeah, it's like you can't tell Verizon they're wrong because we don't speak to Verizon, Verizon, even though Verizon is dictating what we're doing. We were largely a pair of hands, and that became very frustrating. Yeah. Whereas it's like, listen, like I want to, we have the same goal. We want to do great work. We want you to succeed. We want this to be amazing. And please, from experience, just listen to the, and like by the time it goes through five layers, it's yeah. removed. Whereas now it's like, it becomes very much, I'm an entrepreneur. I am talking to other entrepreneurs. So we're on the same page. We have the same goals and mindset. And okay, now we can discuss business strategy. And it just made life much easier. And the work became significantly more satisfying. So yeah, we re- so in summation, we thought we hit where we wanted to go. And it turns out it was horrible. So we were like, oh no, what do we do? <laughs> well, I think there's an important business lesson there is you, in that case, like we were a victim of our own success. And, but by then we had already pivoted once before. So I was already not afraid of pivoting and knew absolutely that pivoting does not mean you failed. Pivoting just means you, much like Marie Kondo, you thank where your business was for teaching you that you don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) Thank you. And then you put it in the trash. (laughs) It goes to goodwill. And then you pivot to the thing you want to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. So moving, well, anything else on that topic before we go to the... The follow-up here, which is good. Uh, in business and in life, if there's a thing you know you got to do in your heart, but you're not doing it because it's hard, for the love of God, just do it. Yeah, You'll thank yourself later. Yeah, increasingly, I learned, do the hard thing first, and you'll, you'll make your life easier. Get rid of your shitty boyfriend. Change your business. Do it now. <laughs> yeah. Kill, well, the inverse of people buy for people, not brands, is like everything is relationship-based. So if there is someone toxic and bad, get rid of them. Remove them from your life. Yep. It will be much better. That could be true of customers, clients, consultants. It's true of just human relationships. The follow-up question here, Gary Nicholas, he brings up business partners. He says, how do you set up these relationships? 
What do you put in place to keep everyone happy? And how do you approach things if it all goes south? Be interested to hear your experiences there. Well, we've talked a lot about this in the previous question. I think the the buildup, the add-on there, diving deeper into it is what do you do preemptively to make it go wrong? And for me, I think it's it's very... To keep it from going wrong. To keep it from going wrong. <laughs> and not to oversimplify it, but it's... Number one, I think it's take it seriously. Don't be trivial about it. because Treat it as seriously as you would a marriage because a... And they're not all going to be like this. Like, there's definitely various levels of involvement. But if it's like your business partnership is for a full-time job, then like Paul and I have, very much you go and treat that with the same seriousness that you would a marriage because that's what it is. Like, yeah, you're seeing this person every day. You're inextricably linked in like how you're getting your income and like you're, I mean, it's on the level of marriage. I mean, my wife works night shift. I see Kurt more than I see my wife on a daily basis, really, uh, during the week at least. And... You know, I think, uh, yeah, just be serious about it. Be with people that see things the same way you do. It's like, it is like dating. You start slow and then you get, you build it up as it goes along. I think, um, like with an employee, you would do a performance review, a check-in to see how things are going. I think early on, especially um, in a business partner relationship, that's to preempt these problems because we say like, the trouble that people get into is avoiding the conflict for too long and then it like gets worse and worse and worse until it turns into a blow up. Yeah. That seems to be the common thread to all of these like terrible business partner relationships. I think the solution is to periodically and maybe not forever, but early on or then like once a year or six months is you check in and you just go, Oh, like how you feeling? How are things going? Just give everybody the opportunity to air their grievances. Well, yeah, and I mean, make it clear that that's what's supposed to be going on. Yes, <laughs> not just everyone. You don't want everyone to be like, fine. <laughs> yeah, and early on, I think you establish establish boundaries. I think is ma- is major establishing boundaries, but I think uh, establishing roles is important. Yeah, but also like roles are going to change over time, so you like don't be rigid about it. But the other thing that tends to blow up business partner relationships is when one person feels like someone else isn't pulling their weight. Yeah. That's like a really common thread. And then there's just resentment. Horrible. Yeah. Like it's all the times I've been involved in these conversations, whether it's my my businesses or someone else's, it's going to be, well, this person is, I'm doing all the work, they're not. Or we don't see, we have different visions, we don't see eye to eye. Or you know, they've lost interest. Like, And those can overlap. But so I think... The solutions there are define those roles, define the goals and the visions, and then just periodically be like, hey, is this still, are we still on the same page here? Let's be honest. It's not all puppies and rainbows. You and I have gotten into fights. Oh, yeah. Like, we have gotten into fights. We have yelled at each other. We have both cried. We've gotten into fights in the morning. I don't cry. We've gotten into fights in the morning and, like, not spoken to each other for the rest of the day. There's been shit that has gone down between us. That hasn't happened... It hasn't happened in a long time, but yeah. I mean, there were times when it did happen. A lot of that was we separately both had personal issues. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of... That's a lot of it. Yeah. And now, like, all of those are have been resolved for... For both of us. Yeah, for both of us for years now. But yeah, it's... it's I couldn't tell you the last time we had a fight. No, we have, you know, we, you and I have been really good for a while, but it's like, and I think another part of it is knowing your roles. What, uh, anything else on that topic... Before we move to our final question, I think we have a lot of good stuff in there from like hard one experience. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just you know acknowledge you're on the same page. Yeah. Hey, 
The mail has arrived. So yeah, just like be on the same page, take things slow, constant communication, like open, unafraid communication, but like, you know, respectful still. Open, honest communication, but that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't mean be a dick. Yeah. Oh, don't, yeah. Don't be one of those people where you're just like, you're fat. I'm just being honest. Like, <laughs> just be honest. <laughs> don't be that person. Yeah. Nobody likes that guy. Yeah. I would say, yeah, treat it like a marriage. Open community, open and honest communication is the cornerstone of any successful relationship, whether it's a spouse or a business partner. And I would treat them with similar importance. All right. Our closing listener question is, is it possible to find a product on AliExpress and sell it successfully and with profit when you have four weeks shipping time? Or is that market over? Most people use shipping locally to get a few days shipping only. I read this question as... Is a traditional dropshipping business still viable in 2019? If if you have a four-week shipping time where it's like people buy a thing and then you're just like, great, you'll get it in four weeks. Unless you are Apple and this is a new iPhone, you don't do this. You cannot do this. Yeah. I mean, they, that's so hard. I can think of businesses that have very long shipping times and succeed but they're very specialized things. It's got to like, be an v- extremely cool, exclusive thing. Mass drop, where it's like you're paying, it's an exclusive product or exceptionally low pricing where you're going to wait a month or more to get it. What's another, like Kickstarter, I guess, similar idea. Yeah, I guess, kick, again, Kickstarter, that's going to be a special, exclusive thing. But if you're drop shipping off AliExpress, that same thing, like it's not that special or exclusive. That means it's not special or exclusive. Yeah, it's just some random Chinese crap that a thousand other people are offering. In which case, you're you're making them wait four weeks for crap. So no. <laughs> yeah, I mean straight up, I wouldn't do this. He he he's like, I want to find a product. Don't start. Do not start your business that way. That's also yeah. Do not start your business with like, I want a business. It's got to sell a thing. All right, cool. Now I got to figure out the thing I want to sell. That's not how that yeah, works. Yeah. Well, it also means you're starting with the solution. Start with the problem. Like, what is your start with the audience. So I say you go, audience, who am I going to sell to? Problem, what am I going to solve for them? Uh, Painter problem. And then, okay, once I know those two questions, now I could figure out what am I actually going to sell? And, you know, we've got like, what, 250 episodes. Most of those are interviews. The common entrepreneurial story that we hear over and over is, I had a painter problem in my own life. I looked at the existing solutions. They all sucked. I then said, why not me? Why can't I do a better one? And then they set out to do it. And in that process, like often worked in a public manner where before they ever had anything to sell, they're getting feedback and they're getting the audience. And that's like, that's the formula for uh, merchant entrepreneurial success. But it's also, I mean, it's, there's some confirmation bias in there in that like, those are the kinds of entrepreneurs I tend to seek out. And then as a result, like, that's just my network. Yeah, like, I'm sure there are people out there that followed this model where they were just like, I'm selling Chinese stuff, random stuff, and then I'm just going to pump I'll it out. you a better one. And, like, make money. If you, this is the model you're going to do, just skip this whole fulfilling product thing and go to affiliate marketing. Sell someone else's stuff via affiliate links. So now you're not dealing with customer service in the slightest. You are pure, it is purely a marketing exercise i think that's if like if i was in this position that's the business i would skip to or 
if you want to get really crazy, the there is a variation on dropshipping uh, called retail arbitrage. And I forgot this guy's name. There's some guy on YouTube who's like office is in a garage with his Ferrari parked behind him, <laughs> which I waffle between being like, that's cool. And eh, it's a little, a little, lot of douche. little douchey. <laughs> but he has this YouTube video. I got to see if I can find it and put it in the show notes where he's like, I make $10,000 a day or that, you know, some crazy claim on Shopify. And I like by selling this sewing machine. And literally it was like he had a sewing machine for 30 bucks. He'd buy a sewing machine for $30 on Amazon and list. he sold it on his Shopify store for 100 bucks, And he had like a virtual assistant would just... So when someone placed an order, he would literally just go on Amazon, buy the item, mark it as gift, and send it to the person. And I have bought stuff on eBay before. This has happened a couple times. Bought stuff on eBay, and I get a gift purchase from Amazon. That's like a... It's basically dropshipping, but they're paying full retail. Yeah. Or I heard... um we worked with a, a client that sold closet organizers and Bed Bath & Beyond started selling their stuff and it quickly became like there was and an, some people figured out that this item sold really well on Amazon and eBay. So they listed on Amazon and eBay. They would then get those Bed Bath & Beyond 40% off coupons or whatever they are like all day long. They had some loophole where they game that. And then they would use it to buy the product from Bed Bath & Beyond as a gift to send to the customer. That's retail arbitrage. Mm. That's a very ridiculous way to do this. But that, like, I would, I would do that before I'd start dropshipping stuff from AliExpress. Yeah, that reminds me. My brother, my brother is uh, works for Coca Cola and sells Coke to restaurants. So restaurants sell Coke to people. So your brother's a Coke dealer. He, my brother's a Coke dealer. I love saying that. He. Uh, they hate so there's like you know it's it's always chinese restaurants you know how like a chinese restaurant they'll give you like 50 cents for a can of coke or whatever yeah what those restaurants do the cheapest place you can get coca-cola is your local large chain supermarket chicago to mariano's jewel albertson safeway whatever you want to call it around america that's the cheapest place you're getting coke anywhere and what chinese restaurant owners do is they buy like giant 24 packs of coke like they buy like t- 10 of them and then go to their, they take that back to their restaurant and then they sell you those cans of Coke for 50 cents each. And obviously that's more than what you're paying for in a 24 pack. So they're making money on their Coke. So n- n- now I know when I see that sometimes when I'm like, I'll be in a, I'll be in a supermarket and there'll be like Asian person with buying like 30, 24 packs of Coke. I'm like, I know what you're doing. Like you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> and then like Coke hates that. They get in trouble for that. I, I I heard the story. I didn't think much about it. And then I'm in a grocery store late in the evening one day on my way home. They always go at night. Yeah, it was in the it was like 7.38. And there was a guy who had two carts back to back. He was using one cart to push the other. Top and bottom of both carts, 100% filled with cases of Coke. Yeah. And I knew, I wanted to be like, so you own a restaurant, right? <laughs> like immediately. The guy was buying only soda in huge quantity yeah. like you're stocking it up for a restaurant because they the grocery store has it as a loss leader or it costs yeah they had a loss leader yeah those end caps they just get people in the store yeah that was that was great i loved it all right that's our our final final question we certainly 
we need your help on more questions, and feel free to uh, tell Paul Rita the right way to put toilet paper. Uh, oh my at God, Paul Rita. I will kill anyone who has an opinion on this. It's so stupid. Yeah, if this is the biggest problem in your, if toilet paper is the biggest problem in your life, you're you're doing pretty good. What about those? The, what about those uh, like stands now that people have, where it's just like a stand with like a little hook on it next to the toilet? Does it not matter there? That would have probably matters the least for sure. I would argue it matters the least everywhere. This is a minor issue. I have a bidet now. I didn't even know about toilet paper. I was, I'm was. i surprised it took you this long to mention the bidet. The bidet was life-changing. I hear about the bidet every day. I am a bidet enthusiast and evangelist, and I welcome you to come try my bidet. It's a bio bidet. You know what? I'm writing it down. I'm putting it in the show notes. <laughs> I'm linking to my bidet with an Amazon affiliate link. I'm going to include that in the show notes. You should, you should check it out. Technically, it's a washlet. It's a toilet seat. That is also a bidet that you add to any toilet. Because like an actual proper... For reals, these bidet would require like new plumbing. Yeah, well, and it's, it was also a cost thing. It's like a few hundred bucks for this setup. But like a Toto washlet toilet where it's all in one, that's... You're paying at least $1,000. And like this, the, the toilet plus the washlet was half that. We're going to include that in there. Anyway, uh, closing. Send us your topics and questions. We'd love to hear them. I keep a text file on my desktop. Every time someone asks me a good one, I put it in there. And if you're going to Unite in a couple weeks, we'd love to see you there. Come say hi. Um, we'll generally, we'll find a spot. We'll post up. We'll hang out just to, to talk to people. I, we love the networking. That's our favorite part. Uh, so look for... Kirk gets cranky, though, after talking to too many people, so catch him early. Yeah, that's true. You want to catch me early. <laughs> By the end of the day, I'm like, I need a break from all the talking. Cool. I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. I got to catch flight to Disneyland. Ah! One final note before we go. I wanted to remind you about the one Shopify theme my agency has used more than any other. It's called Turbo by Out of the Sandbox. And as its name implies, it's built for speed. But that's not why I love it. I love it because it's the most configurable, feature-packed theme for Shopify today. Features like predictive search, easy mega menus, infinite scrolling collections, and a ton of page templates. Calling it a theme doesn't do it justice. I think of it as a rapid prototyping tool for Shopify stores. And I've got a special offer for you. You can get it today at a 20% discount when you use the code PODCAST20. You can even try it for up to two weeks, and if you don't love it, Out of the Sandbox will give you a full refund. To check it out now, go to ethercycle.com turbo and use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's ethercycle.com turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, the unofficial shopifypodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including some details you might have missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. Please support our show by supporting them, and thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, and produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at ethercycle.com. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.